Welcome to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. I'm Paul Valley. And today we're going to start with Chris Davis. I know we've talked about him ad nauseum, but for me, it's not just numbers. I'm going to stand on the soapbox here and go off on a little bit of a tangent. Uh, Chris Davis, as we all know, set that major league record for hitless at bats to start a season. I think he started 0 for 33. He went 0 for 54 um, overall before it was all said and done. Uh, between last year and this year before he got a hit. Since he broke that streak, though, 9 for 25 with three doubles, two home runs, and eight RBIs in nine games, that's a 600 batting average. But that's not what I want to talk about. I've had a number of people come up to me and talk to me about how Chris Davis is noticeably smaller than he was before. First of all, Chris Davis is still a big guy. He's still a big man. Um, he has lost a little bit of weight. He's even said he has as well. But it's led to speculation from these people that have talked to me, and it's been a handful of people, so I know other people must be thinking this, that he's off steroids. Well, that implies that the man was ever on steroids. And I want no parts of that conversation. I've had to excuse myself from these conversations multiple times because I don't, I don't respect that opinion. First of all, steroids, they don't help you improve your hand-eye coordination. I can't just take steroids and become the world's greatest magician. It doesn't work that way. Steroids make you stronger. And for a batter, if you can't hit the ball, you can be all juiced up or roided up as much as you want. It doesn't matter. You're not going to hit a home run because you're not going to touch the ball. The issue with Chris Davis has never been the strength. It's never been how hard he hits the ball. It's been him hitting the ball at all. You can't really make the argument that steroids are why he's had the downturn because he's still striking out 220 times a year, and that has nothing to do with steroids. That has everything to do with hand-eye coordination, not seeing pitches, and not knowing what's coming. I just have zero respect for the idea that Chris Davis, or anybody for that matter, is using steroids without proof. There's just no proof to this. And look, I've been big on fitness most of my life. I've seen guys coming to the gym, I've seen them get bigger, I've seen them get smaller, I've done the same thing. A bulkier body is not conducive to the baseball swing. You look at Austin Hayes, uh, in 2017 he had put up that monster year, he finished top five in the minor league player of the year award nationally. Uh, so then last year before the season he wanted to put on muscle, he said he put on 20 to 25 pounds of muscle, and then what happened? He hurt his shoulder, he hurt his ankle, he wasn't as fast, and he wasn't as productive. So this offseason, once he was fully healthy, he decided to get more into more leaner shape, rather more leaner, wow. He decided to get into leaner shape rather than being as bulky as he was. And then he had a big spring. Now, he did hurt his thumb sliding into second base. But, you know, when he gets back out on the field, he can be more like the player we saw in 2017 rather than the player in 2018 because he leaned out to have a, uh, to have a body more conducive to the baseball swing. Chris Davis, nothing was working. You know, and even though he's hitting the ball harder than she is, at a certain point, nothing was working with that either. He probably had to lose the muscle to have a faster swing and to put a better swing on the ball. So the steroid idea is garbage. I don't want to hear another word about it because it's just false, and it's not fair to the man who's put in time and effort his entire life to be a high-caliber major league player. And the way he's been swinging the bat recently, he looks like he's on his way back to being at least a semblance of what he used to be. So knock it off with the steroid garbage. It's baseless, and it just fuels your own argument. All right? Now that I'm off my soapbox, we'll move on to the next topic, uh, and that is Cedric Mullins' demotion. And 
believe me, folks, this was overdue. Hitting 094 this season, just 6 for 64. Just 2 for his last 40 since he had that two-triple game back on April 8th against the Oakland Athletics. The demotion was necessary. It, uh, he just wasn't producing. But the head-scratcher is that he was sent down in favor of Stevie Wilkerson, who is more of a utility infielder. He did play some of the out, a little bit of outfield last year. He did get two starts in center field at the minor league level this year. He's an athlete. The guy's a baseball player, so I understand why they called him up. Uh, but on the surface, you look at it and you say, well, when they called him up, Dwight Smith had the injured quad. You only had Joey Rickard in center field, and then you basically had... Trey Mancini in right field, who was a first baseman. So if you're going to have Stevie Wilkerson in the lineup along with Trey Mancini, you have two infielders playing in the outfield. The Orioles are a bad team, but I know they can find outfielders to come up to the major league level. The problem is nobody's banging down that door. You have Anthony Santander, who's having the best year of anybody in the minor league season, and that still leaves much to be desired. He's only hitting 262 with a couple of home runs and about eight or nine RBIs at the minor league level. DJ Stewart... Really good on base guy in college. He, you know, small sample size last year hit 250, but above a 340 on base percentage because he walked a few times. He's only hitting 234. Yes, Neil Diaz, the Orioles' top prospect, he's down a double A boo. He's only hitting 231. And then Ryan McKenna, who absolutely lit up single A pitching at Frederick last year to the to the tune of a 377 batting average. He's struggled ever since his promotion to double A boo last year. Right now he's only hitting 186. So. On the surface, you see Stevie Wilkerson getting called up, and you're like, what's going on here? This is an infielder that's going to play the outfield. But when you look further into it, he was the best of the bunch. He was hitting 316 down at the minor league level, and he was the one most deserving of a promotion. And he can play a little bit of the outfield. So while you have two infielders at the, for outfield spots right now, I understand the move. And I think it speaks more so to the state of the Orioles' farm system more so than anything else. But... Austin Hayes is swinging the bat now. Um, he's hitting BP. He should be playing in games in the next week or so. And hopefully he'll be up before too long to take over the center field duties because, like Joey Rickard, but more as a fourth outfielder, not as an everyday center fielder in the major leagues. Um, I do think that Cedric Mullins will be back, but again, I also think he'll be more of a fourth outfielder type. He's got crazy speed. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see him hit 280 and 300. He might have a ceiling at a 260 hitter at the major league level, but I envision more of a role like a Jared Dyson type for him where he's the late defensive replacement, he's a pinch runner, and he's somebody who gets the occasional spot start uh, once or twice a week. But I just at this point, just based on the eye test, uh, and we all know that there's more than just the eye test when it comes to baseball, I don't see Cedric Mullins as an everyday player at the major league level. Now, it's up to him to prove me wrong, and who am I? But I'm not the only person that feels this way. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully he can go down to AAA and get some confidence and get the, you know his feet back on the ground and be back up sooner than later. You know, because Austin Hayes, when he comes back, he's going to be knocking that door down too. Uh, another demotion, not really demotion, more of an outright release, would be Mike Wright. He was finally designated for assignment after uh, posting a 9.45 ERA this season. He's got a 5.95 career ERA at the big league level. You know, he was always successful in the minor league level, and the Orioles had a lot of hopes for him. And even Brandon Hyde said that after DFAing him, he hopes that Wright clears waivers and stays in the organization because he's got the stuff to be a successful big league pitcher, but it's more about location. And his location, unfortunately, is 
more often than not over the middle of the plate and then getting, you know, rocketed all over the ballpark. You know, he, he did look promising. When he came up in 2015, his first two big league starts, he went seven and a third innings and seven innings of shutout balls. So 14 and a third shutout innings to start his career, and then the wheels fell off and he never really got the back on, save for a, maybe a five, six-week stretch last season. So all the best of luck to Mike Wright. Hopefully he can stay in the organization. If not, you know, hopefully he catches on with somebody else and they can figure it out for him because he couldn't figure it out here and the Orioles did everything they could. Um, and that's kind of a microcosm for the rest of the pitching staff. You look at the starters, they have a 5-6-4 ERA as a, as a staff, which is 11th in the American League. Their four quality starts are dead last in Major League Baseball. They've given up more home runs than any team in baseball. You look at Andrew Kashner. Andrew Kashner went 4-15 last year, but he's 4-1 this year with a 4-1-8 ERA after going seven innings. First Orioles started to go seven innings uh, this season. He's been the best pitcher on the team. Everybody else has been pretty much a steaming pile of hot garbage. Kashner, after him, you have David Hess with a 5-8-8 ERA, and that's the next best ERA. He leads the staff with eight home runs given up. Um, John Means, his ERA is 1-7-2, but he's only made two starts. He started tonight against Chicago in that series finale. Orioles starters, just they have to get better. And one of the things, we've been talking about trust the process, and we've been talking about how you know this is going to be a tough year. Yes, it's going to be a tough year. Losing is very difficult, especially when you're probably going to lose over 100 games. But what makes it that much more difficult is when you see a lineup that wasn't expected to produce, they're actually producing. And then the pitching staff, with a couple of veterans in Dylan Bundy and Dan Straley and Alex Cobb and Andrew Kashner, they're not getting the job done. And that's the most difficult part about watching this, this season, seeing your offense score runs when you wouldn't expect them to, and then seeing the... the the pitching staff give it up. It's been brutal. 59 home runs in 25 games. And that's including two of the last three games not giving up a home run at all. So it's just been really difficult to watch. They gave up 11 home runs in that doubleheader against the Twins on Saturday. They have six guys between the, between the bullpen and the starting rotation that have given up five home runs or more this year, which is totally unacceptable, even on a rebuilding ball club, if you ask me. Um, we have those minor league pitchers, but none of them are, are close, really, except for maybe Keegan Aiken. But Keegan Aiken has spent a full season at every minor league level. So are the Orioles going to keep going with that path and make him spend the entire year at Norfolk? Or are they going to call him off? At this point, we really don't know. That remains to be seen. And then you get into the bullpen, and you look at a guy like Miguel Castro, who we're going to talk about with Dylan Atkinson when we get back from our break. He's pitching to a 10.80 ERA this year. He's allowed three home runs. He threw... Three wild pitches in one inning on Monday. And it just it just looks like he has no idea what he's doing out there. Seven walks uh, after walking 50 batters in 86 and a third innings last year. The guy's just having a rough year. I mean, he pitched to a 3.53 ERA in 2017, a 3.96 in 2018, but with all those walks. And this is supposed to be a guy who's potentially a late inning reliever because of that power arm. He's got that high spin rate like we talked about with Matt Pine a couple of weeks ago on the slider. He's throwing a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. This is a guy who should be pitching to a far better ERA than 1080. So, but hopefully Dylan can clear that up for us and, ex and explain to us why that's been going on, why he's having a hard time this season, just struggling so badly. But first, before we get into that, we're going to get a word from our sponsors. And then after the break, uh, we're going to have Dylan Atkinson from UtahStreetReport.com. 
In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills, drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television and computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch. And joining us now from Utah Street Report is Dylan Atkinson, who's recently written a couple of blogs for the website that are pretty interesting that we're going to talk about today. Dylan, how are we doing today, man? Good. How are you, Paul? I'm doing well, thanks for asking. We were just talking about Miguel Castro before we got a word from our sponsor and how he's having his worst season. Uh, and you just wrote an article for Utah Street Report discussing Miguel Castro and what you might think be what you think might be wrong with him. Excuse me if I can learn how to talk here. Uh, what was what is it that you noticed about his game that's different from years past? Um, I, I kind of noticed it in the game when he came in on on Monday night and against the White Sox and uh, really couldn't find the strike zone at all. And it seemed like he was almost having a uh, a Givens like delivery coming down almost co completely sidearm. And I didn't know if it was you know me just seeing things. I don't know if it was maybe he's been doing it the whole time. Uh, so I decided to look into it yesterday and I went on to uh, Brooks Baseball and and looked it up and I, I looked at the videos from the past few years and both the videos and uh and brooks baseball's data um kind of confirmed that from 2017 which was his best year with the orioles down to it, it, he's dropped about uh four or five inches on his release point and it's pretty visible he's going from a, from more of a three-quarter arm slot in 2017 to more of a sidearm delivery in 2019 when I first started writing the article a little bit, I, I was wondering if that was maybe a purposeful thing. Maybe he was working on 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 throwing sidearm more. But then, uh, but then Castro revealed to Rock Cabaco of MassInSports.com that uh, he noticed in videos from the past few years to this year that his arm slot has dropped, and he's going to be working with Doug Brokale, the pitching coach, to uh, to fix that and get his arm back up. Well, hopefully that's something that'll work out then. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Not that I'm anywhere close to the caliber of a professional baseball player, but I've done some pitching in my day, and I've always noticed that if I'm coming straight over the top, I'm way more accurate in the strike zone. A lot of times when I get tired or if I get lazy in my delivery and my arm comes out to the three-quarter position, I'm all over the place. So it's funny that you mention that because, because just from personal experience, I know that the arm angle and the release point has a lot to do with where the ball is going to go. So you mentioned that Rock mentioned that. You mentioned that um, the cast was going to get Doug Brocale to work on that. Have you had any opportunity to see any other pitchers? Because this team's given up a ton of home runs. They set a record for home runs in the month of April, and we still have about a week left in the month. Is there anything else that you're noticing with the pitching staff that is causing them to, you know, elevate their pitches and just have a lot of balls knocked out of the ballpark? Um, nothing as clearly visible physically as, as Castro has been. I, I think it's just a thing of some guys maybe not being able to, to repeat their mechanics fluidly and consistently. Um, there's nothing as visible as Castro, but um, it, it's just guys just having poor command and, and leaving the ball over the middle of the plate. I, I know some guys have talked about the, the baseballs being different this year because Major League Baseball is hitting home runs so much more than they were last year at, at this point. But 
that doesn't take away from the fact that the Orioles are allowing a whole lot more than everybody else. Well, and I'm glad that you mentioned the baseball, um, that people have having issues with the baseball because they just started using the Major League Baseball at AAA and home runs are up in AAA. And you have all these pitchers in the majors that are complaining about the baseballs and you have everybody saying, oh, they've been tested, they've been tested, they've been tested, and there's nothing different about them. I call BS on that. I mean, the balls have to be different if you start using them in the minor leagues and the home runs immediately go up too. Oh, yeah, I, I, uh, I totally agree with you there. Um, obviously, th there has been over the past few years, everybody's changing their approach, trying to get on the, the better launch angle, better swing path. But that's that's only going to do so much. I mean, for both AAA and, and Major League Baseball to be skyrocketing with the same baseballs, there has to be a change in that. And I guess the best way for a pitcher to combat that is to change it up, so to speak, when they're throwing their pitches, you know, have the, have the hitters guessing. And with that in mind, you also wrote a blog about John Means and the disparity between his fastball and his changeup. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, I, I, I wanted to look into it a little bit because um, John Means was never regarded as a top prospect in the Orioles system. The highest he's ever been ranked was 29th on MLB Pipeline in 2017. Um, and it's kind of funny because when he was ranked then as a prospect, he was known as a guy that might be a long reliever. He's not going to miss many bats. Uh, he has an okay fastball. He, ha he has a, a pretty good curveball and everything. And now the curveball is what he's throwing the least out of his whole his whole uh, arsenal. Um, he's actually using it very sparingly, uh, as well as the slider, the slider a little bit more. Um, but I decided to look into his two-pitch mix with the fastball and changeup. He's, he's picked up on a little bit of velocity this year, throwing around 92, 93 miles an hour. I think he's topped out around 94. Um, and his changeup has gone as low as 77, 78 miles an hour. And uh, it, he's been able to generate, on average, around a – 12 mile per hour gap in between the fastball and changeup, which has really helped him keep hitters off balance. And I know he's uh, he's starting tonight. I'm, I'm hoping he can increase, he can uh, keep going with that success in the rotation. Um, I'm not sure just how much success he will have as a starter, though. I did write that uh, I do think he'll continue to have more success in the pen being a two pitch mix. But to have that success going forward, I, I think he's going to have to incorporate at least an average breaking ball going forward. All right. And you did mention in that article that uh, he had the, the, the highest average uh, velocity on his fastball, if I'm remembering correctly, of anybody that has that big of a gap between their changeup and their fastball. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Um, so, so for anybody who, uh, who had a, uh, was it a, a fastball that was under – um, I'm sorry, a changeup that was under 80 miles an hour. Uh, Means has the highest fastball of all of them. So it really does show how big of a gap there is there. Especially when you consider the fact that his arm speed when he throws a pitch looks exactly the same whether he's throwing the fastball or the changeup. That probably really keeps hitters off balance. We've seen some really funky swings out of some hitters where they just kind of look foolish in the box up there. So it's nice to see John Means having that success. I did read in your article, like you, like you mentioned, that you think he'll probably have more success as a reliever than a starter, and that's been the case so far this year. I do think he's run into some bad luck as a starter. You look at that game against the Athletics where he gave up five runs in the second inning and only one ball left the infield, and unfortunately – 
that was a three-run home run that led to that five-run inning. But uh, I think that still remains to be seen. I do agree with you. I think he needs to learn how to throw his breaking ball a little bit more and a little bit more effectively if he wants to remain in a starter's role. But either way, it's nice to have somebody on this pitching staff succeeding because, like we said, so many people giving up home runs. And you even see these pitchers in battles like David Hess the other night. Uh, he, he had a 1-2 count on James McCann. Really good, really good uh, battle between the two. And he ends up losing the battle by giving up a th uh, three-run home run. And that's been the Achilles heel for the Orioles this year, wouldn't you say? Yes, it absolutely has been. I mean, the, the long ball has definitely been killing them. Um, more so than anybody. I mean, I mean, you. I also looked into it. David Hess is giving up absolute bombs right now. He's given up more home runs than Bundy so far, and everybody's talking about Bundy. Um, so uh, he's definitely been prone to the long ball just as much as anybody, if not more. Mm -hmm. Also looked into um, uh, baseball Savant, and uh, they're showing that he's given up some of the highest highest exit velocity and most barrel balls more than almost anybody in the entire league. It's around second or third in all of Major League Baseball right now is David Hess uh, giving up that. So that he, he's had some rocky outings uh, aside from that uh, no-hit performance in uh, in Toronto. They, he's usually a big uh, hit-or-miss guy. I have seen some people say that they'd rather see Hess in a reliever role because he has a strong mix between the fastball and slider, but not much after that. They kind of want to see him, especially since he's reaching back for 94 and 95 in his starts. If in a one-inning performance, he can just go with a fastball slider mix without without throwing in there his below-average changeup and curveball. Just go fastball slider, see if he can pump it up to 98 or so. Right, right. And, you know, I do remember I was asked last year about David Hess when the Orioles were really struggling at the beginning of the year. I mean, they struggled all year, but the pitching was a main problem all season. And the Orioles were never really all that high on David Hess. And then he, t he had... He you know, some great seasons in the minor leagues. They brought him up last year. He pitched well down the stretch. Uh, had a good couple of starts when he first came up and then got rocked a little bit after that. I think a reliever role might be what is best for him because his stuff after that fastball and slider that you mentioned is not that overwhelming. And, you know, if you're only going to have two really effective pitches, you're probably better, better suited for a relief role. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, uh, I totally agree there. And, and, and unless... Uh, in John Means' case, it, unless he develops a, a strong breaking ball, uh, he, he's probably better suited for a reliever role as well, as we said earlier. Um, and I was on the Locked on Orioles podcast with, with Justin McGuire the other day discussing what type of bullpen role John Means is better suited in. And I, I was pretty much saying that you, you don't use this term very often when it comes to pitchers, but I would consider Means more of a utility-type reliever you can use them early in the games if a starter gets bumped early for three or four innings. And as he showed in Tampa Bay, he threw those, those two scoreless innings and extra innings with four strikeouts in, in, in clutch situations. So he's kind of a guy that uh, I would say that it was kind of a role that uh, Miguel Castro was used in in 2017 where he was kind of back and forth. He would be used as a long reliever, middle reliever, once in a while as a setup. That's something that means could be for the Orioles this season. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you, and the Orioles certainly need somebody to step up in that bullpen and kind of shut the door on some opposing teams because the Orioles have lost a lot of leads late in the game. Um, well, I mean, they, they haven't lost a game in which they've been leading after six innings, but, you know, they've, they've had issues in the past where 
you know, they could be winning a game early and then a reliever comes in and gives it up. And that also has to do a lot with the starters not going beyond five innings. Cashner was the first starter to go seven innings last night. They've had four quality starts in 25 games. So a good reliever to come in there and kind of bridge the gap from the from the starter to the late inning relievers is something the Orioles really needed. Maybe John Means and maybe even later in his career, David Hess uh, can help out with that. Dylan, pleasure as always. Great stuff as always. Thanks for coming on the show today, and hopefully we'll be talking again soon. All right. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. And that's almost going to do it for us here today on the payoff pitch. I do want to go over the nerd stat of the week. We haven't done that in a while, so today we're going to talk about FIP, which is fielding independent pitching. And in layman's terms, fielding independent pitching takes a pitcher's three true outcomes, strikeouts, walks, and home runs, and uses a formula to calculate an an ERA-like number. Uh, So basically, it's uh, removing fielders from the equation and just seeing what a pitcher's ERA would be if you focus on solely true outcome scenarios such as strikes, walks, and home runs. Um, We're going to have the formula on the screen for you. I'll tell you what the formula is, but if you really want to get a good grasp of it, you might want to watch this instead of listen to it uh, when we put the video up later today. Uh, the formula is 13 times home runs plus 3 times hit by pitches and walks minus 2 times per K divided by innings pitch plus a FIP constant, which is usually 3.1 or 3.2, just a number that they use so they can get it to an ERA-like number. Uh, for So basically, you're looking at it in the same context as ERA. So... For FIP, anything below 4 is good. Anything below 3 is fantastic, spectacular. Anything 4 or 5 and above is pretty bad, terrible. Uh, You look at the Orioles as a team, their fielding independent pitching number is 6.30, which is a pretty nauseating number, but not really surprising when you consider the team has the fourth most walks in the American League with the third fewest Ks, and they've allowed the most home runs in baseball. So that 6.3 number, while pretty gross, is not that shocking. Uh, for as for individuals, Andrew Cashner leads Orioles starters with a 5-1-0 FIP. Again, not a great number, but what's that's to be expected. Uh, Evan Phillips leads a team with a 2-8-8, which means that he's not only passing the eye test, but he's also passing the analytics test as well. Evan Phillips having a really had a really good spring, was good in his short appearances down in uh, minor leagues, and now back up on the major league club. He's having a really good start to his season. So 2.88 is a spectacular number for fifth there. So that's our nerd side of the week, fielding independent pitching, focusing on a pitcher's three true outcomes, strikeouts, walks, and home runs. That's going to do it today for the payoff pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio. Thanks again to my guest Dylan Atkinson from utahstreetreport.com. And as always, I'm Paul Valley. Thanks for tuning in.